Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 56 of the Two Hands on the Hurl podcast. I'm your host this week, TJ Mills, and I'm joined by the legend and topic master and Instagram king, that is Robbie Mansfield. How's things, Robbie? Oh, yeah. Thanks for the intro there, <laughs> TJ. Um, yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, busy week this week of uh, three birthdays for uh, the kids this week, so... Have Monday, Thursday, Saturday birthdays. So it's a, if you have a, you have a one in two chance uh, that my kid has a birthday this week. So, <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant! <laughs> any big ages? Any special ages? Or they're uh, all special. Just, don't get me wrong, but uh, they're all special. Uh, five, seven, and uh, thirteen. A teenager, would you believe? So yeah, it's a, it's a big reality check for me. <laughs> She's fair play to you because you don't look a day over 21, Robbie. Um, well, I haven't so. said that. Someone said I looked 27 the other day. So, you know, I'm 35. So I'll take that. That's pretty good. Yeah, I know. Definitely. Definitely. I got told I looked in my 50s there be someone a few weeks ago. So <laughs> or no, sorry, jealousy. a few months ago. Just um, jealousy. <laughs> So I definitely take um, that amount of years younger anyway. Um, yeah, we're a bit late recording this week. Um, it's my fault. Uh, we planned on recording uh, late last week, but um, unfortunately a migraine struck again. But um, yeah, we'll make up for it hopefully uh, towards the end of the week. Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie, and there are some important fixtures in the GA over the weekend. We give a quick rundown through. I think one of the most interesting ones in the football league, it was a refixture, was Longford against Westmeath. Um, Longford under a uh, new management, um, Leishman at the helm there. Um, I can't think of his first name for the life of me. His surname's O'Loughlin. Um, but Westmeath were a real league team and Longford to get the victory there. And then for Manna defeating Leash as well, puts Leash in danger of relegation and Longford could possibly if Leash don't pick up points, actually relegate him. So it'd be one of their own uh, relegates them. Um, that's a fair win for Longford and also a fair win for Fermanid. Longford win was 14 points to 10 and Fermanid 315 to 3-9 high scoring for football. But um, yeah, yeah, really impressive win there for Longford. Yeah, it was good. Um, you know, a bit of a derby game for them there. So um, yeah, like this is the good thing about the league is that you get so many good games uh, against teams, teams of the same ability level. Um yeah, so it's, it's, they're always interesting games to watch and they don't really get a whole lot of coverage on, you know, uh, Allianz League Sunday or anything like that, which is unfortunate. But um, the games are, are every bit as good when they're as good as each other. And uh, yeah, some scoring in that Leash game, 315 to 3-9, as you say, plenty of goals. Um, not a day for the defenders, it doesn't look like anyway. Oh, no, definitely not. And by all accounts, from what I heard, the scoreline didn't do for Mana justice in that. Not to rub salt into the wounds, but uh, I heard Fermanagh had a lot of chances in that game. Before we round up the wrap-up in the football, I think one of the performances at the weekend in the football league was Galway against Offaly. It's always hard to travel to Pierce Stadium, but uh, 2.17 to 3.10, um, Offaly bide with um, the under-21 All-Earned winning team 
John Mohan would have to be really pleased with the performance there. Any team scores 310 against, I mean, a team the likes of Galway, you, you would expect to win, like, but to just come up short, they're making great progress there. Yeah, and in Division Two as well. So, you know, that was sent to them in, in you know, when they're into the Leinster campaign. Um, you know, they were, I suppose, like, Offaly as a county has been down for, I don't know, 10, 15 years really in uh, football and hurling. And, you know, they're making strides to come back, as you're saying, with John Mohan and uh, Michael Fenley in the hurling and stuff. So, and they're a great county. And, you know, I'd have good memories of, uh, Offaly winning a Leinster title in 97 in football and they won uh, a couple of All-Irelands in the 90s as well. So, you know, they're always a good team to watch. And um, yeah, so it'd be good to see them kind of coming back up. Um, and Galway, so as Galway would be maybe underperformed over the last few years as well. So in general, they're, they're a strong team and they were talked about in the All-Ireland conversation a few years ago. So yeah, it's good for even though you know they lost the game for Offaly, as you're saying, going to Pierce Stadium is hard. So yeah, so green shoots and Offaly, which is good to see, and um, hopefully the hurlers can come back up and do well as well because so, the um, Kilkenny and Offaly rivalry was always was always really good to watch, wasn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely. You mentioned the victory in '97. I remember that Tommy Lines, if I'm not mistaken, was in charge of the Offaly yeah, team. That right. they defeated Meath, was it? Um, yeah, actually, this is um, if you were to go for this, could be um, a conundrum question on, uh, say, uh, a table or a table quiz night. Is um, over the last forty years. Uh, twice have Dublin not been beaten to win a Leinster title and um, both times it was Offaly so yeah Offaly bet Meath in 97 and I think they bet Meath in 1982 or something when he went on to win the All-Ireland so yeah usually you have to go through Dublin to get to win Leinster but uh, twice Offaly did it without playing them yeah, no, that's a real valid point because you look at Westmeath in 2004, uh, defeated Dublin, and then Leash in 2003. So, yeah, yeah I know. And then Meath, I mean, Meath, of course, it'd be um, the rivalries, uh, the, uh, the rivalry that they still have with Dublin as well. Yeah, I know that's a really interesting one, Robbie. And as you mentioned there, unfortunately, Kilkenny suffered a defeat against Offaly in 1998. Um, they brought in their secret 007 um, of, what's his name, Bond. Um, Kilkenny defeated them in the Leinster final, easily, actually, in the Leinster final. Babs Keaton was over at Offaly's side. And then they brought in the secret weapon. And uh, yeah. Were they the first team Kilkenny. to win it through the back door, were they? They were, yeah. Uh, I think that was the year of the sit-down protest as well. Um, Clare yeah, were yeah. reigning All-Ireland champions and um, the referee, unfortunate for him, on the first day blew up the whistle. It was a double header in Croke Park. Now, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, I was watching on TV, and, actually. <laughs> and, yeah, no, it was the same now. I, I won't lie, I remember certain aspects like that but yet i might remember games four or five year ago it's gas like um but uh yeah i know i think i'm after reminiscing enough there but yeah i know it's great like being involved up in awfully with camogie there a few year ago i know the proud county they are and um 
actually we'll mention uh, the Camogie in a few minutes as well, a great victory uh, for an awfully side in the intermediate as well. But before that, we go to the hurling. There were so, uh, sorry, other games in the football championships, or, or sorry, football league. Uh, Cavan defeated Sligo one thirteen to 10 and uh, Wexford were defeated by Tipperary by a solitary point. In interest in scoring this game, finished Tipperary 4-4, Wexford 15 points. Wexford were really in that game as the scoreline shows, but will feel slightly a game they left behind. We move on to the Hurling League and... The main game of the weekend on Saturday was uh, Dublin versus Kilkenny. Uh, Dublin undefeated in the league and undefeated tried the Welsh Cup as well. And they came up short against Kilkenny, 223 to 16 points. Um, a blip in the radar for Dublin, a learning experience, Robbie. Um, are, could, it, could we say they peaked too soon or is it just a situation that they were a bit... Um, legged because I think Matty Kenny, uh, 13 out of the 15 players nearly played all their league games so far. So, could it be just tough training and a bit legged against Kilkenny? Uh, I don't know, I'm hoping that, but I don't think so. I think more it's like the natural order restoring itself, uh, as teams are coming back into the championship. I think, um, Kilkenny overall have underperformed uh, in the early rounds of the league. It's fair to say, like in Santrum and Tipperary, um, yeah, not really that convincing, I suppose, in in any of the games they've played so far. And I think you know they're maybe coming back up to maybe more of a championship pitch, um, getting the Ballyhill lads back in and stuff like that. And yeah, I think it's you know, the only the only thing I'm really hopeful is that maybe it's Dublin wanting to keep in their powder dry for the championship. You know, because um, there's no good beating Kilkenny in the league and then them beating you in the championship. So, yeah, maybe they're 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 trying not to show their full hand before they play Kilkenny. But honestly, I think that, you know, it's Kilkenny just coming back into form and showing who they really are. And maybe Dublin moving a bit further back to probably where they have been for the last few years, you know. So I think it's more the natural order restoring itself more than anything else, really, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, Dublin are always there, thereabouts. So, I mean, I, 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 I'd be kind of siding, maybe, I won't disagree, I'd be kind of siding with maybe a blip. Um, but the one impressive thing is Kilkenny were without um, some of the stars. Um, I was going TJ. to leave it till, yeah, TJ Reid. Your namesake, your namesake. Yeah, yeah, I know it's a pity I could never polish his boots that way, but uh on Cody and all of that and it was um it was unfortunate um the circumstances. Um the news that we got last Friday evening, um it's a text message no one would want to get is the death of Paul Shefflin, um a great stalwart at the Ballyhill Shamrocks Club, uh, brother brother of Henry Shefflin unfortunately died suddenly on Friday and um yeah I I knew I was lucky to know him and he was another gentleman but 
a terrific hurler, but more important than that, he was a great family man as well. And um, he'd be really missed around um, around not only Ballyhill, but around the uh, the county of Kilkenny and throughout Ireland as well. Um, he always had a laugh and a joke. And um, yeah, it's just my deepest sympathies to his wife, Aoife, um, his brothers, sisters and his parents, Henry and May as well. And it's a really sad time for uh, the parish of Ballyhale and um when the podcast is released he'd be um getting buried so yeah it's I I can't I couldn't pay tribute enough it's just my deepest sympathies to everyone and it, it all his family friends and everyone involved in Ballyhill Shamrocks GA club um but um yeah going back to the Kilkenny Dublin game um, it's hard when hard to go back to when there's more important things in life, but unfortunately, I have to move on as well. And that, um, I I really like the style of Kilkenny on Saturday, Robbie. Looking at it, I mean, being a Kilkenny man, it was um, I I, I liked the way they operated. But you know there's a longer year ahead. So that's why I'd be thinking it could be a blip on the Dublin radar as well. Um, Kilkenny got the goals at the clinical times as well. Um, hopefully you're right. That's the nat- national natural order being restored. Um, but you look at, uh, we'd be chatting about it in a minute, you'd be looking at the performances of Limerick in the league and you'd be kind of thinking to yourself here, they're not going to be like that come championship like. So um, we move on to some other ones. And you mentioned Offaly on Saturday as well, Robbie. They really put it up to Wexford. Wexford, who claimed the well, or sorry, um, got to the Welsh Cup final, were defeated by Dublin but were unbeaten in the league and awfully really put it up to him. Uh, Wexford pulled away uh, towards the end of the game and emerged victorious 122 to 212. Um, great work being done there by Michael Finley, but could it have been a slight off day for Wexford as well? Could it be teams that were really progressing well, say in the Welsh Cup, maybe getting into a bit of championship training as well that no injustice toffly but could it be a situation Wexford and Dublin flying through the Welsh Cup like they did it might be catching up a bit on them yeah that's fair to say like um, you know it's, it's I suppose we're going back to a few years ago with the whole uh, round robin group stage in the Lancer and Monster Championship so you know we'd probably think that because it hasn't been done for a good, like hasn't been done for a lot of years, that teams are only really figuring out what's the best, maybe protocol to go with in terms of training and peaking and all this sort of stuff. Because you have to peak for a few games in in the round robin series. So, you know, it could possibly be that that maybe the likes of Dublin and the Wexford who were flying high, maybe they're they're coming back a bit because of the the training loads and teams are being adjusted. Or, you know, you could be looking at Offaly and saying that, you know, they've taken a few hammerings over the, the opening few games and that maybe now they're a bit more up to the pace 
of you know elite hurling you know because you're dealing in maybe milliseconds faster than you would have been uh, the lower division um, but it matters very big in, in the game so you know, hopefully it's just awfully coming up to the pitch of the other teams um, having gotten a few hidings. You know, that would do its great maybe focus for the minds for the year ahead. After getting a couple of hidings, you're thinking, right, we need to go better. We need to go harder. We need to go faster to try and get up to these lads. Um, yeah. Yeah, so hopefully that's more the case. That's awfully rising to the challenge more than Wexford are slipping back, you know, because, you know, Wexford look really good in the early rounds of the league and obviously Welsh Cup as well like so um, yeah I think it's more awfully just coming up to the pace of it and you know this is how they're going to get better by forcing teams into the later stages of the games and yeah hopefully maybe during the championship I think they're in the in the championship they're not in the Lee McCarthy door are they? No they're in the Joe McDonough this year yeah um, yeah so it'll make them kind of uh really hard to beat in the John McDonough and if they win that then they'll be up with the big boys next year in the in the Lee McCarthy now. It's just a bit of a theory I have Robbie and it might be a bit rubbish and I, I can't take full credit for it because I, I heard it a bit on the Sunday game I didn't see it last night but I watched it back today you're mentioning about um, teams coming up to the pitch, the likes of Offaly coming up to the pitch after suffering defeats. Leash were the exact same. They suffered heavy defeat again. It ran Tipperary close. Um, I give Tipperary a bit of stick for that game, but Leash played with 14 players similar like they did yesterday. So great credit. Um, Leash defeated Antrim. As you say, Antrim put it up to Kilkenny. Uh, Watford and Dublin so I mean Antrim aren't a bad side either but could it be a situation the theory after getting slightly sidetracked there is awfully never used to have a fear of Wexford they'd have real respect for them but awfully knew they always kind of had the measure of Wexford over the past while I mean even going back to the early Say early to mid nineties when Offaly were at their prime, they were battling it out with Wexford when Kilkenny were kind of slightly off the boil. Um, between say ninety three up to uh, claiming Leinster in ninety eight, so they were years there. And then you had battles between Leash and Antrim as well. Leash and Antrim, they're always nip and tuck. Either side could win on the day, and it was similar with Leash in Dublin. Um, back in the early 2000s so the theory I have could it be a situation that even though you may not be at the same level as you are or at the peak the level that you want to be at you still have these targeted games that you go out say awfully we're saying here we're after suffering heavy defeats but we're going out and we're going to be targeting Wexford even though they're on a good run and the likes of Leash we're targeting Antrim because we know we defeated them before they defeated them in the championship last year. Yeah, I definitely think there's, there's a lot to that. You see it in lots of different sports, you know, even like Derby games. Um, You know, you could take numerous examples, maybe when Irish rugby wasn't going well, they'd always give England the game. And, you know, when Rangers were relegated down to Division 2 in Scotland, I think they played Celtic in the cup game and it was still, you know, the rivalry was there. 
and you know it happens in GA as well like you know with me maybe been down for the last maybe 10 years or so um but they still give it their all when they play Dublin and and stuff like that and then in her in the hurling world as well you have Offaly you know who would have been a bogey team for a lot of teams in Leinster for a long time they probably still have yeah. you know just there's probably still something to that that you know no matter how bad a team gets they'll always rise it for you know that that local rivalry and stuff like that and then sometimes you know you had like even Tyrone team during the 90s they they slipped up against me me were a hoodoo team for them and then in the football in 2000s you had Kerry couldn't beat uh, Tyrone as well so yeah I think there's definitely to that something to that that teams have the Indian sign over other teams or other counties and um, it takes a lot to break it. You know, it took a long time for Waterford to beat uh, Kilkenny and Hurland and then they came along and did it a few times, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think definitely your your summation could be maybe simpler than the whole peaking for championship. It could just be good old-fashioned rivalry, you know. Yeah, I know. It, it's just something popped into my head, like I was saying, it could be hogwash, but... Uh, <laughs> I trust your opinion as I always do. Um, yeah, we give a quick rundown through the other games. Cork are continuing their great run, um, 126 to 23 point win over Galway. Of course, that game was overshadowed by um, the tragedy on Friday. So, but um, Cork really looking like the team to beat this year, Robbie. I mean, they're after. The danger is when you're after suffering a heavy defeat in an All-Ireland the year before, it could knock you back, but it doesn't seem to be knocking Cork back this year. Yeah, they're going well and they've, you know, probably the mo- they, they probably feel they didn't really do themselves justice in the final. Um, and anyone who watched the championship last year knows that they're better than what they you know played in the final against Limerick, um, despite how awesome Limerick were. So, um yeah, I think, you know, the whole uh, all-star snub might have uh, its extra motivation for Cork as well. You know, they're the only team ever to never have an all-star in a team that was in an all-Ireland final. So, you know, you have to feel that all the all the whole squad is extremely motivated to do well. Um, yeah, and beating Galway, you know, Galway were going well in the early stages of the league. Um, you know, it's difficult to analyse form really, but... Um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping there's big things in Cork. Um, especially after the, the manner of defeat last year. You just want to see them come back and uh, like exercise all those demons and go on and win all Ireland, you know. So um yeah, I think before the championship started they were, you know, maybe two or three overall and I think they're they're still up there at the minute, to be honest. Yeah, I being honest, I, I'd like to see Cork progress and true, but still there's a rivalry there no matter what uh, between Kilkenny yeah. and Cork. But <laughs> um, I know we leave it at that. Um, yeah, you mentioned about Dolsters last year. Nimerick are really struggling. Um, we be finishing up summation quickly. Um, but Limerick drawn with Clare yesterday. Uh, Clare were you could say done out for a good goal at the end of the first half. Um, is it just the situation Limerick are just doing what they have to do? They won't get relegated no matter what. So, yeah, just suck it up and just defend their all-earned title. Would it be as simple as that? Yeah, I think 
you know, maybe they would like things to be going a bit better, a bit smoother. Uh, I know I heard John Colley talking about the game and he, he's looking for improvement the whole time. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, after winning back-to-back All-Irelands, you know, and with the, as we mentioned previously, with the dominant nature, they won the All-Ireland final. I think, you know, they've got, their, their, their thoughts are for, you know, the summer rather than now. And they're just trying to maybe unearth a few players, get guys into form, play in a bit of a system. And, you know, I think any team that under that underestimates them come championship time is going to be on the, the wrong end of a hiding, I'd say. Yeah, I know. Very valid point there. And the last game of the Hurling League, uh, Watford continuing their good run against Tipperary, one twenty-eight to 21 points. Of course, it was the battle of the... Uh, former teammates um, Colin Bonner and Liam Call. Uh, if you're a Tipperary supporter, Robbie, would you be worrying, or would it be a situation that Colin Bonner is just trying out and just seeing building a team towards the championship? They were concerned today that Seamus Callanan could be a doubt for the championship. If that comes to flourishing. Could Tipperary struggle or is it, as I said, just a matter of trying out lads and build towards the championship? Yeah, I think overall with all the teams, when you consider the league form, I think Tipperary fans have to have maybe the most to worry about. Um, And the thing is, they're quite demanding fans as well, you know, and quite proud of their county and as they should be. Um, Yeah, so... I suppose you're never really going to know until championship time, but I think out of all the fans and about out of all the teams, uh, the form that they're showing, I think Tipperary probably have the most to be worried about. Um, they have got like maybe the their deepest, darkest fears could come true more likely than the other ones, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I think it's definitely worrying times for a Tipperary fan. Um, but, you know, there there is a rebuild there to do in Tipperary. They will struggle without Shane Callan. He's been the you know, the four point of their attack for a long time. So, yeah, I think they are rebuilding a bit, but I think they're stronger than they have looked uh, and they will be in better shape come championship now. Um, but definitely, I think their form is the most concerning um, for all the fan bases, to be honest. Um, just one thing before we move on, Robbie, and it's it's a thing that I would have been guilty of saying myself or any management team that I would have been involved with, and you would have mentioned it a few times. If you have a team that's kind of just motoring away in the league and you're saying here you're going to try and target yourself and um, to target a certain date in the championship, looking at it, say, from your business say strength and conditioning personal training and also physio aspect is that possible or is it a theory could it be a situation that it could be a false illusion that you'd be saying here i'm going to target a certain date but you physically can't do it or is it a situation that it is physically possible but sometimes it's mismanaged yeah well like you know there's there's kind of precise science, I suppose, to peaking. Um, but then again, when you look at the Olympics, a lot of the times athletes don't do their personal best at the Olympics, you know. So you'd have to question, you know, maybe sometimes the methods. It's like, are our teams overtrained or are they undercooked? Or, 
you know, I think when a team loses, you 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 like you will always say, oh, they weren't fish or they weren't this or they weren't that or didn't do enough of this, you know, the way. But sometimes it just comes down to on the day and the other team wanting it more, just the old fashioned sort of grit and determination and stuff, and maybe a little bit of luck going your way. But um, yeah, like it definitely is possible to peak for a certain time of the year. Um, but like sometimes you could try something with a set of guys and it mightn't work and you might you might only learn through a few years of doing it you know in a way so yeah it is definitely possible and teams do do it um you know but like like even with all the sports science and stuff like that it's you still have to go out and hurl like you know you still have to go out and pull hard and you know die for every ball like you know in a way so sometimes that's the biggest factor um because you think all the teams are conditioned to last and they all have, you know, massive backroom teams. So they're all doing the same thing. So the thing that's going to matter the most is probably what's between the two year, two years and the effort they show on the pitch and stuff. So, yeah, I think like conditioning is great and all, obviously, but sometimes it just comes down to on the day, one team wanting yeah. it more or a bit of luck, you know? Yeah. So would you, just to conclude on that, do you think instead of it doing it, say, throughout a team, it could actually come down to an individuals themselves that you need to target certain individuals in a sense? Yeah. Yeah, like, so, you know, if you're, if you're doing a strength and conditioning team or plan for a team, you might have to consider, you know, the, the very individuals you have in front of you rather than the whole team, if you know what I mean, so... Yeah, and like you know, getting the matchups right and stuff like that, and yeah, so I think that's what you have to do. You have to really personalize it and make sure that you're not just giving a generic plan to the whole team and hoping it works. You know, you have to definitely be looking at the weaknesses of certain guys and trying to make them their strengths. You know, yeah, I know really valid points there, Robbie, and thanks a million for that. I know, I know, I threw a high ball at you there before the actual high ball, but. uh, Yeah, I know. Fair play. Yeah, we move on to the Premier League um, currently at the moment. We're recording this Monday evening and uh, Everton's bad run is continuing. Spurs are uh, defeating them 5-0 and there's still a bit of time to go in that game. So uh, there's no magic revival for Everton yet. But looking at the other fixtures over the weekend... Uh, Leeds under new management, uh, but still suffered a f- defeat to Leicester 1-0. Um, Chelsea easily defeating Burnley 4-0. Uh, Newcastle's revival, new owners, new players in, defeated Brighton 2-1. Yeah. But the real important games, and I'm not saying any of the other games weren't important, was Liverpool's win over West Ham 1-0 even though West Ham had a real clear cut chance towards the end of the game. But the real result, Robbie, I feel it'd be the Manchester Derby and Man City 4-1 winners over Manchester United. Uh, Chatting to Manchester United fans, they're just delusioned at the moment. Are they any way back at all? Um, Yeah. I don't know, it seems to be, you know, the same old story for United year after year, um, where it's like, oh, if we get, if we replace these players or if we get a new manager in or a new system in and, you know, it always seems to be the same old story. Um, you know, I know they made lots of big signings during the summer, you know, but maybe not in the positions that they needed, like, you know, centre half, uh, 
central midfield and stuff like that. They got a lot of flash guys up front, and you see Sancho is growing into the Premier League. Um, you know, but they didn't really strengthen the areas they needed to. I think. Um, but yeah, it does seem to be they're in rag order, and you know they're going from bad to worse. And like, like I suppose what really shocked me was like Ragnick really came from nowhere to for the United job. Um, yeah. It's a, it was a real left field sort of like signing. I think the majority of people over this side of the world hadn't really heard of him in terms of football. Um, you know, when they had Solskjaer, who wasn't proven track record, and they were at Mourinho, who was like their mortal enemy for so long, and they just seemed to be clutching at straws, really, in general, like over the last since Fergie, Fergie left. Um, you know, if you were coming in in the summer, you'd be looking at getting, you know, one if not two centre halves and one if not two central midfielders and maybe a young striker as well in there as well to be honest with you because Rashford is has fallen away massively um and Cavani you know Cavani and Ronaldo are getting up in the years and stuff even though they're well conditioned um so yeah definitely concerning and bad time to be a United fan um you know like top four is looking like a like it couldn't happen either. Like it's just so many teams in and around that that could jump above them, and they've played so many games in hand. Um, yeah, it's a really it's a it's a rag order situation at, at United and City exploited you know every single possible weakness they could yesterday and didn't uh, United didn't do Liverpool any favors, which um, I'm sure that's the only consul- only uh, consolation United have today. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think the title's going to come down to the City-Liverpool game in, what, four or five weeks' time, approximately about that. And, um, yeah, I mean, six points in at Liverpool, a game in hand. Yeah, I mean, but it's a real valid point you make there, Robbie, and it's a thing I would have put into a lot of United fans. Now, it may not be classed as the cleverest thing that I'm going to say, uh, which is anyone listening <laughs> to the podcast to know that would be fairly common. But would bring in the likes of Roy King, clear out the dirty laundry in a sense, just have someone go in and rev up the dressing room. It may not be a long-term shot, but something might even change the culture of the club. They just seem to be going, as you mentioned, for the big names, big players, signings. I mean, Man City are doing it. You take and take the bias out of it. You look at Liverpool. They kind of buy from, they bought in, like most of the star players at the moment were bought from, say, the likes of Southampton. They were bought from, Diaz was bought from Porto. Um uh, I mean, yeah, they're they're really skillful players and all of that, but they're kind of de- they're developed into great players. I mean, before Salah came to Liverpool, he wouldn't have been as well known as he is now. But yet, you have Ronaldo was brought in to save United, and he's aging, as you're saying, Cavani as well. Is it a situation that, like what you were saying? United just have to sign in hard-working players and forget about the big names. Yeah, I think they, they need players who are going to stop the leakiness of the goals, I suppose. Um, 
and maybe work a bit harder. You know, I think Pogba, from the moment he's walked into the club, has underperformed 99% of the time. And But I think with the whole Roy Keane point, I do think that the days of the hairdryer in dressing rooms are over and that, you know, the modern player is a lot more, you know, they need more of the arm around the shoulder, they need more of the Klopp type who will go in and, you know, be their best mate yeah. and tell them they're the best player in the world rather than going, going in and giving them the hairdryer. I don't think players will respond to that anymore. Yeah. Um you know, I suppose Mourinho was a bit of that style of manager, and you know, you can see that a lot of teams, a lot of teams, they just down tools. If they don't like the manager, they'll just be like, right, you know, that's it, we're done. Um, and it's happened in lots of different, lots of different scenarios, and it happened to Keane himself. Um, was that Sunderland and Ipswich? You know, there was uh, people weren't happy with his management style, and you know, yeah, I, I, I think you know. You know, maybe United fans would love Keno to go in there and give him the L, you know, <laughs> give him an L blast of what he really thinks. But um, I don't know if that would work just with the modern player. I think it's just different, just different nowadays. And guys, they don't want that. They want someone who knows what you're talking about. And also, I'm not saying Keane doesn't know what he's talking about. But they want someone who knows what they're talking about and who will encourage and inspire them to do better. Um, maybe yeah. like so Pochettino or you know Zidane if he was available to go in at United might be better than uh, than Kino and um, not that I don't love his punditry or anything like that you know so he's it's quality to watch and it's hilarious um, but that's entertainment you know it's not going to win football matches I don't think in the modern era you know I could be wrong obviously Roy Keane knows he knows more about football than or he's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know and that's fair enough but um, I just don't think the modern player will respond to that to be honest yeah no I'd like I've been <laughs> I'd never polish uh, Roy Keane's boots but being involved say in another sport and um, being involved in management yeah, yeah, I, I, I saw both sides and I yeah, yeah I do agree that you kind of you have to be firm but fair. And I'm not saying Raikeen wouldn't be like that. May it was just an idea I had something needs to shake up. Um but um yeah, I've I've always tended to side with the encouraging, try and boost, try and get the potential, but I've also seen the other side um where people were over uh, critical and it also had negative effects as well. Uh, before we move on from the soccer, Robbie, the Champions League is back, Liverpool versus Inter tomorrow night and Wednesday, Man City versus Sporting and another big game, Real, Real Madrid versus Paris Saint-Germain. And the Premier League sides uh, seem on course, Liverpool uh, seem on course to progress through Inter and Man City over Sporting, uh, Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, I think that'd be the game of the week. Um, even though Paris Saint-Germain would be favourites progress through, I think. Yeah, I think um, you know it's a bit different this year because there's no away goals and stuff. Um, you know, and I think, yeah, PSG, PSG looked very good against Madrid the first day, but that's not to say that Madrid can't come out and play well uh, in the home return fixture, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think that, that definitely the fact that there's no away goals does maybe 
lean a little bit in Madrid's favour because um, they could go out and win 2-1 and or, or maybe 2-0 or something like that, which is very doable. Um, and, you know, Messi, Messi isn't lighting the world up in in league on either. So, yeah, I think it's a very interesting game. You know, it's a game, it's a tie of... Um, it's a tie of the the games that are on this week. So, you know, Bayern and Salzburg will be good. You imagine Bayern should win yeah. at home. In, or, or Liverpool and City look like they're through. Yeah, so, yeah, it'd be an interesting one to watch the Madrid game. Um, you know, and I suppose even if PSG are under pressure, that could be when they're at the most dangerous where they could hit Madrid on the break or something. But, um, you know, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that PSG will go through and win. I think it's pretty 50-50. It's, it's finely balanced. Um, Madrid didn't really show what they're capable of in the first game. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see this one, how it goes. But, um, yeah, Inter or Liverpool and City are look pretty home and hose, to be honest. Yeah, I know, definitely. And it's great to have those games to look forward to uh, midweek as well. Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie, to the top picks. And i let you take it away first this week. Uh, yeah, cool. So, just what I've been kind of watching this week. In, oh, kind of, I was just thinking there while I was watching. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched the Vikings Valhalla. I was talking about that. Um, it's very good. Maybe five episodes in, and it's, it seems to have uh, you know taken off where um, the old series kind of left off as well. So that's really good. And there's another one coming up called The Last Kingdom, which is very much like Vikings. That's out. Um, I think it's on the. The 9th of March, I think it is. You know, that's a very good one. Um, so definitely check that one out. And for Rick and Morty fans, the new episodes, maybe you might have seen them already, but they're available on Netflix if you haven't been able to watch them uh, elsewhere. Um, yeah, cool. So that's my picks of the week. And, uh, of course, the, the Batman movie, which we might talk about in a bit as well. Yeah, I actually, before I move on, Rick and Morty, I never watched it. I got slagged last year because by Liam because I hadn't a clue what it was. Uh, is it worth checking out? Yeah, it's worth checking out. Uh, the thing is that it's nearly impossible to describe what it's like because every episode, like you could watch, you could explain exactly what it is, and then the next episode would be completely different and completely random. So, uh, yeah, I suppose the gist of it is that uh, Rick is a scientist, and Morty is his uh, grandson, and they go off on all sorts of mad and crazy uh, adventures and just doing crazy mad shit. So that's basically the whole show. <laughs> but uh, I think I it's I think it's worth checking out. Um, the first episode, maybe I was like, oh, this is a bit odd. But then I suppose you just get into it then. But um, yeah, some great uh, characters. I love Jerry. Jerry is just this, like hopeless, sad case. He's just, you know, he's a complete loser, basically. But he's incredibly hilarious. Um, and Rick himself is, uh, is excellent as well. So, you know, I'd say check it out. I'd say check it out. You might like it. Yeah, no, I, I have a, a habit lately going out for, well, I can't run now because... Um, the hernia operation, but I go out early morning walk and I have time, so I might check it out in the morning when I come home. Um, yeah, my topics this week. Uh, I started watching The Big Bang Theory again. Um, yeah. I used to enjoy the show, went off it, now watching it again, and 
Yeah, I kind of miss it now um, because um, it's, yeah, it's kind of like it, it's kind of like a thing. You, you a bit like Simpsons. Uh, you watch, 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 and then you f- like you f- kind of go away from it, and then you watch it again, and then you see why you enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, I was watching that and. Um, Trying to think what else was I watching. Um, I can't think of it, but there's a series coming out. It's the final um, season of Better Call Saul. It's coming out on the 23rd of April, I think. I stand corrected on the date, but it's definitely in April. Uh, Anyone that would have been a fan of Breaking Bad would know Saul Goodman and this would be I think about the fourth fourth or fifth to be the final season um, so I think this would be really interesting um, it would be a really interesting season especially the final one and be interesting to see if anyone watched Breaking Bad see if Walter White and Jesse comes into it Um and yeah, that'll be coming out next month. Um, yeah, the other topic I would have having would have been the darts over the weekend. Um, uh, Danny Nobbert claimed the UK Open title, but the brilliant aspect of it and the unfortunate aspect of it as well is two Irish players, Keen Barry and Willie O'Connor, made semi-finals and both put in great performances, but came up short. But history could have been created last night when um, could have been two Irishmen in a major final, which would have been the very first time uh, in the history of darts. But unfortunate, it didn't happen. But Willie O'Connor, 35, long darting career left. And Keen Barry's only 19 as well. Uh, Willie O'Connor from Limerick and Keen Barry. And of course, uh, uh, Willie Lannan. Uh, from uh, yeah, sorry, from Carlo as well, making great strides in the darts world, uh, along with Brendan Dolan as well. But uh, yeah, it was unfortunate it didn't work out last night. But uh, Danny Nobert defeated uh, Michael Smith, claimed the UK Open title. Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie. It's a topic we covered last week, and I think it'll be a topic we'll be covering for weeks to come, unfortunately is the Russia-Ukraine war. And you came up with a brilliant and interesting angle on it uh, for this week. And um, should we have a European army? Um, i let you take it first to see if you'd be for or against it. And uh, then i give my views on it. Well, uh, so basically maybe a few years ago, I'm like, nah, we can't do this, fuck this shit. Um, Bush... I was kind of thinking about it. And then I was like, you know, maybe we could just take the best the best elements uh, from each country and let them do their, you know, their best because each country would bring something unique and stuff like that. Um, so I think, you know, first of all, the Italians, they'd make the suits. So they'd be extremely well-dressed. Um, then you would have, you know, the Germans, you know, obviously they've lost a couple of wars so that they're due a win. Um and you know they'd be they'd be eager to to do well as well. You know they'd be eager to make up for you know stuff that happened before. Um, 
you have Eastern Europeans, you know, who be hard as nails. You know, they've lived under under communism, so they know exactly what it's like. Um, yeah, and you know, this is all the other. You know, uh, we'd have a great coffee for the army as well. That being no doubt as well, and um, you know, we have the French there to be able to talk about liberty and stuff like that. And you know, us Irish should be just there. You know quarterbacking the whole thing telling them what to do so um of course I'm, I'm only joking with all that but um you know maybe it might be something worth considering um in terms of like if it was a an army that was together that for purely for defense and you know it would make us less uh less likely to be you know aggressive aggression from uh, a neighbor that would be um like likes so of Russia going into Ukraine, if there was, you know, if Ukraine was possibly part of a European army, this thing mightn't have ever happened. You know what I mean? So it could be a good deterrent um, for the future. Uh, well, what do you think, Tej? Yeah, I, 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 I would agree with you, Robbie. The way we are isolated here, we're part of the European Union. We're highly respected. Yeah our reputation dipped because of our financial management uh, for years, but we have a good stand and we have good peacekeeping and all of that. The scary thing about it is we have to rely either on America or uh, the United Kingdom for defense. Um, And if you look at after Brexit, the United Kingdom's out of Europe. America is their own continent, you could say, um, their own country. They're miles and miles away. I think it'd be something that it'd have to be looked into. I mean, it's all well and good saying neutrality and all of that. It's a, it, I think that could be a topic of its own down the line. I'm not a history buff. I don't go in. I have an interest in politics. I wouldn't have a great knowledge of the wars. Um, I hold my hands up on it. But is this a once-off? Is this a thing or could it be? This is, I feel, brewing for a long time with Russia. Um, Russia are after getting away with a hell of a lot. Um, there are other wars going on. I mean, you look at Israel with uh, Pal- uh, um, uh, Palestine. Palestine. Um, I mean, there's air raids, their bombardment going on there. It seems it, it comes into the media at times, but still. But is Israel classes as major a power that they're a danger to Europe? our other countries as the likes of Russia. They have maybe not. That's that's very Mm. true as well. And I was going to caveat it be saying is look at the atrocities that's going on in Palestine as well. Um yeah you know Ukraine actually gave up their nuclear weapons in was it ninety the early nineties? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not saying nuclear weapons are a good thing, but sometimes they're you know they're a good deterrent. I'm going to fire a curveball here at you, Robbie. Are we being too lax a daisy? I mean, it's all well and good saying here we're firing in sanctions. 
um, America's firing in sanctions, the European Union's firing in sanctions, England seemed to, the United Kingdom seems to be lagging behind because there's a lot of Russian money in the United Kingdom. I mean, it's in the media every day. The there's a chart put up on Twitter there last week. Now they are a caveat. It's on Twitter. You don't know how accurate it is, but mm. it seemed to be from a reliable source that England were far down the pecking order when it came to sanctions. Is sanctions going to affect the billionaire? No, it's going to affect ordinary people. You see the protests that's going on in Russia. Is it a situation that there's going to have to be military action here? How long more? We're 12 days into it. Uh, Russia are moving towards Kiev. Um, they said they were targeting military. Um, they wanted to demilitar- demilitarize. I know I pronounced that wrong. I'm brutal at pronouncing. But um, they wanted to take the military, in other words, out of the Ukraine. But they targeted the most vulnerable uh, hospitals, nursing homes. There was a bakery attack today, civilians killed. How long more can we sit back and say here? we're going to fire financial sanctions. Is it a situation that we're going to have to, in other words, NATO are going to have to go in and they're going to be conflict? Uh, You had Ukraine President Zelensky saying, by not putting an air block over the Ukraine, any more airstrikes and any civilians' deaths will be on NATO's hands. The blood will be on NATO's hands. I mean, yeah. that'd be a terrible it, legacy to leave behind. Yeah, it's, um, I suppose the danger is is nuclear, I suppose, if if people go in against Russia. Um, you know, it's a hard one to, to advocate for intervention because the next level up is nuclear, you know. Um, yeah. You know, but I think like the sanctions will work to a certain degree, um, more long term than in the short term, if you know what I mean. So, and as well, there was lots of stuff with the ruble wasn't doing too well uh, the last week or so. So that might have a big impact on the overall. Um, that might that might have a big effect on the war as well. Um, you know, but um, yeah, like if NATO gets involved, then it's you know it's, it immediately upgrades to a nuclear conflict. You know the way. So, yeah, do you call Putin's bluff and go in with soldiers, or what do you do? You know, as nobody wants nuclear war. Um, you know, it's it's a sad. It like this is the other side of it that if there was no nuclear weapons, that you know, countries would go in and support Ukraine a lot more red, readily. Um. Yeah, it is a tough one to be honest. Which it's there's no real winners in any scenario. Um, I think you know what the West are doing, like in terms of providing equipment and stuff like that. And the Ukrainians are fighting extremely well, um, but they'll only be able to hold out for so long, you know. So yeah, it's a difficult, difficult one to to balance. And no matter what answer someone might come up with, there will be casualties either way. Um, you know, you see that Leo Varadkar was like, oh, he's this generation's Hitler. Well, then if he is, then 
you know, should we not be doing more? Yeah. But more means nuclear conflict, um, you know, so, you know, and it's not fair to leave the people of Ukraine, you know, under, you know, such oppression as well from, you know, a big neighbor as well. So, yeah, it's a, quite a complex issue. Um, the, only, the only thing I'm kind of hopeful for is that the, you know, the Russian economy is maybe going to tank a bit. And that means that they can't prolong the war. And that means that maybe they get to the negotiating table a bit quicker than they would. Um, yeah, that's the thing. That's my only real hope here. Because um, other options, I can see ending well, if you know what I mean. But um, I don't know. What do you think? I, I don't know. I, I can't disagree with anything you said, Robbie. I mean, genuinely, I'm, I'd be far for war, but I can't um, tolerate what's happening in Ukraine at the moment. You look at what happened in Crimea and the way Putin got away with it, uh, the atrocities that Putin was uh, linked to. Um, it's bullying. It's bullying at the highest order. And uh, people might laugh and say it is. It is bullying because um, you attack us, we're going to go nuclear. Um, it seems to me at the moment it's attacking the most vulnerable across the world. Um, now, that's not to take away from the atrocity that's happening in the Ukraine. I just can't imagine it. Every day you're seeing videos or you're hearing stories of families being divided, people being trapped, tragedies happening. It's just it's just atrocious. But I heard of a story on the radio on the way home from work today, a 95-year-old with Alzheimer's the family had to turn off the radiators in his house. And because he has Alzheimer's, he can't understand why he can't have heat none in his house because of the costs of oil. Um, And it seems to be a situation that the elite at the moment, like I have a huge, like I said on the podcast a few times, I have connections with a government party at the moment. I'm having real difficulty that the poor and vulnerable are suffering. I mean, you have a wealthy elite that are saying here we fire sanctions on and they seem to be protected against it, where the vulnerable in their own countries are being affected by it, where they seem to be insulated slightly from it. I'm not saying they're totally insulated, but they have a great, I mean, if you're after giving yourself a few pay increases um, during the pandemic and you're saying, and then you have a thing, you have one government minister saying here, the one way to hurt Russia is by not buying their oil or gas. That's going to be no comfort to someone that is trying to heat their house. I mean, I have fuel to go to work now. I know we're not as greatly affected by Russian exports of oil or gas here, but the markets are affecting the price of oil or gas here. Um, And I I just think people are being paid, as difficult as it is, people are being paid to um 
to lead and they really have to try to the greatest extent protect the people of the Ukraine, no matter what. I'd like to see the diplomatic channels. I don't think that's going to wash with Putin. It just won't wash with Putin. Um, If he comes out of this, he he's certain if he doesn't, I think it'd be despicable, but it'd be certain to face war crimes um, and be found guilty of war war crimes and be brought to the Hague. Um, But you look at the price of fuel going up at a petrol pump and then you're watching the news or hearing it. It's all over the place about the atrocities going on. It's affecting everyone. Now, wars do affect everyone. Um, but I think leaders really have to earn their crust now and don't have certain political people using this for their own agenda saying here we have to we have to do it anyway and try and move away from our dependence on fossil fuels that's fair enough but when you have no other alternative saying the only way to stop a war in a sense our funding a war is not be using fossil fuels when the fossil fuels isn't actually coming from that part of the the world to your country there there's something wrong there now that might be complete hogwash what i'm saying but that's the greatest difficulty the atrocity that's going on in the the ukraine um, but then the elite as well seem to be getting away with it yeah well the price of fuel like i think 50 percent, 56 percent of it is tax in ireland you know so they could lower the prices that way um, I know that would impact revenue and stuff, but um, you know the whole the price of fuel is turning people maybe who have a good job, who have to commute to work. It's turning a good job, a well-paid job, into maybe you know something that's you know they're spending a lot of money on fuel, uh, maybe a third extra on fuel maybe that they would have had. So that impacts on their ability to spend and you know their uh, their quality of life as well. You know so. I know with the Greens in government, it's not going to happen that the price of fuel is cut. Um, and also maybe because it brings in so much revenue, it's not going to be cut, you know, the way. But um, like maybe there's a bit of a wake-up call for where we're going in terms of not using fossil fuels. But, um, you know, it's very difficult when you're filling up your tank and the amount of money you're putting in is double the amount of litres that are going into your car. It's a bit disheartening, you know, and... Yeah. I'm sure for a lot of people, you know, that have to commute long distances to work, it's taking the good out of their job, to be honest with you. And, you know, it might be a situation that maybe next election that uh, people let them know this much that you have to bring down the price of fuel, you know? Yeah, I know. And the one warning there, like, um, I was involved in politics, like I'm saying, I'm involved now currently, um, not as active as I was. But the one warning to the government parties, and I know we're straying away from, and this isn't a political broadcast, but the one warning there is the last time the Greens and Fianna Fáil were in government, they saw what happened in the 2011 election. Labour went in, I was involved with the Labour Party at the time, I was against going into government, wanted maybe the very few uh, active Labour members at the time against going in. 
you see what's after happening in the Labour Party now, Alan Kelly, after being thrown out, I think wrongly, but that's a Labour issue now. Um, and they are a warning there that if you don't listen to the people or you treat people with disrespect, they will bite back. And if they don't take the warning signs, well, I'm sorry, no matter how much you're paid or whatever, you're fairly fucking stupid if you think the people won't bite back at you. No, whether you try and justify decisions or whether you're right in decisions, if the people think you're wrong, you will be fecked out. And that's the warning to any government TD at the moment. Um, now, that's taken away from what's ha- the atrocity that's happening in the Ukraine. I think the real thing is, and someone said I would have been a real fan of Biden's, but I think he's really been found wanting here as well. Um, someone put up on Twitter, and I think it's very true, if Biden wasn't in America at the moment and they had no president, well, could America be any possibly maybe any worse than the reaction that's happening at the moment and i am a fan of biden and i was and i was i would have been favoring of him but i think america really shown a severe lack of leadership at the moment and um yeah yeah i think in in the united states there's a bit of a general move away from intervention as well um yeah, I think a lot of, not to speak for Americans, but I think a lot of them are tired of the cycle of wars and getting involved in foreign jurisdiction and also getting, you know, a lot of flack for it. You know, the way they might they might step in in a country and do some good, um, and then they just get a lot of they get a lot of stick and a lot of hassle and a lot of um, uh, dead American soldiers uh, as well, and they don't really seem to be getting. They never really seem to be getting, and you could argue whether they're right or wrong to go into certain places and all that sort of stuff. But I definitely think there's a general move uh, from what I've heard from like uh, American commentators and stuff. There's a move away from intervention and stuff like that. So I think, you know, maybe because I think, you know, Trump wanted to get out of wars and, you know, Biden doesn't want to get into wars. He pulled out of Afghanistan and all that sort of stuff. So I think in general, the American people, they don't want intervention in foreign wars and stuff and we'll try and probably do probably do less and then there's the whole argument should they be stepping in because they're a, a big world power and stuff like that and you know the way so yeah it's a, it's a difficult one um it's a difficult question really isn't it yeah no it's very valid points there i mean it really is and the last thing you want is to see another world war but they are I mean, I think um, the way Trump was cozying up to, well, if you look at it, there, I don't know if there's definite proof found, but they were a link to Russian interference in the uh, US election um, back a few years ago, and they were a link to uh, Russian intervention in the Brexit debate as well. So if you look at two of the biggest superpowers throughout history was uh, the United Kingdom and America. And um, 
you look at the the financial links between certain aspects of the UK and Russia uh, among the political elite and then you also look at the links uh, between uh, America and Russia as well Um, I think they're the ones that can say here we I'm not saying they have full uh, blame but they have a certain amount of blame towards what's happening at the moment in the Ukraine. And the danger is if, if it is, and I don't want to drag on too long because it could be born people, but um, I think, I think if, if this situation in Ukraine isn't managed properly and Russia get their way, where's it going to end? Where's the next place um, that's going to be invaded? And I know there's a danger in nuclear war, but you can't have a bully. Um, they, they have to be some way that you'd face up to a bully. And it's someone could say that's easier said than done. And that is a very valid point. I don't know how they could manage it. I really don't. But there's, I think, other than sanctions, because you look at the amount of money that the Kremlin have, the war chest that was built up, Putin isn't going to be worrying about his own people because he has it in such a way that he's able to, he was able to add to the time, the terms that he could serve as president He's arresting his own citizens that are protesting against the current war uh, or the the current attack on the Ukraine and all the sanctions that are happening are against the Russian people. Now, one point I heard was the oligarchs um, are the ones that could possibly stop Putin. And um, if they're able to stop Putin where political leaders are lacking, well, then there's something wrong as well, because it goes back to how the war started. It was funded through finance and because the oligarchs finance is being affected, it could stop it as well. But I don't think this would be the last we'd be talking about it anyway, Robbie. Uh, definitely not and hopefully you know for you know the ukrainians um that this comes to an end uh yeah swiftly and with without loss of life but um you know more than likely we'll be talking about this again unfortunately and in terms of like for you know that's going on you know yeah i know definitely we move on anyway, Robbie, and you went to the cinema uh, Saturday night, was it? And you saw the new Batman movie. And yes, sure we're is. just chatting off air and it seems to be different to other ones. It seems to, you're saying, uh, be maybe a bit normal. Yeah, it's um, you know, a bit of a darker movie. Um you know, just like usually in superhero stuff, you have some lighthearted sort of banter and stuff, but it's not really that sort of film. Um, 
and anyone who's seen maybe the recent Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix will understand maybe the vibe that they're going for. Um, yeah, it's a long film, three hours long, so make sure, sure you get your snacks. Um, it's a movie that I'll probably go see again, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I did think it was a really, really good movie. I would stop short of saying that it was better than The Dark Knight, which is probably the best uh, Batman movie ever. Um, yeah, I think better than Batman Begins. So then maybe the sequel to this movie could have the potential to be better than The Dark Knight um, or The Dark Knight Rises. Um, yeah, a bit of a bit of a super fan of Batman. Always, uh, you know, when rushing home from primary school and throw on the cartoon Batman and watching the Batmans with Michael Keaton as well were also very good. Um, the, the disappointing ones with Val Kimmer and George Clooney and... You know, yeah. Chris, Christian Bale. Christian Bale for me is still the best um, Batman, but he's had three movies at it. So you know, you could give. I think Robert Pattinson uh, did really well and played it really well. And yeah, I think the Riddler was really good as well. Um, yeah, so there was lots. And you know, Colin Farrell did excellent as a Penguin. I think he offered probably the most bits of humor in it as well. Um, yeah, and some good twists and turns in it as well. Um, yeah, so I think. I think it made two hundred eighty-five million in the opening weekend, so it's uh, <laughs> it's on course to do really well anyway. But um, yeah, I'd urge everyone to go see it. It's a really great movie. It's really great cinematically. It's really well shot, and yeah, really happy with it to be honest. With you. <laughs> and I've been waiting since the first lockdown to go see this. So you can imagine through all the lockdowns, it's been in the back, you know in the background that it's it's coming it's going to be out in 2022 and all that sort of stuff so it's been a long wait but uh definitely worth the wait have i convinced you to go see it yet i think you have i mean i would have been the one that would have loved the likes of the cartoon batman and adam westbert ward uh kind of comedic um i would would have been a fan of the the very first kind of real film back around was it late 80s um i'm trying to think of the batman you named him there and it's after escaping me uh michael keaton michael keaton uh i kind of fell out with it with the likes of george clooney and all of that uh, at the time and i think her after selling it to me again and so yeah, I I'm I won't lie. I'm not great for going to the cinema, uh, especially on my own. It's usually a date joke, but yeah, I might um, I might venture and have a look at that. I think you're after selling it to me, and when there's an Irish interest there with Colin Farrell as well, it'd be interesting to see um, his project. Yeah, and there's the a, there's also um, uh, Irish interest for the sequel as well. Because uh, Barry Keoghan, I don't know if you know him, he's in Love Hate and he's yeah. been in a few yeah. other things. Um, he's going to be the, the Joker, the new Joker. So, oh, cool. um, yeah, so that's going to be the next movie that was confirmed by the director. So, yeah, that's uh, that's exciting. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really, really iconic role. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to... Uh, to Barry, given you know, giving it his best, obviously, and seeing what he can do with it. 
Yeah, no, I I think I'll definitely check it out now. Um, kind of looking for ideas to do at the moment. So, uh, yeah, no, mm-hmm. I'll definitely check that out. And you're after really selling it to me here. I would have been a kind of a Superman, uh, fan. Um, but similar to Batman, I would have been kind of the older ones. I would have been say the likes of uh Christopher, Christopher Reeves, Reeves and yeah and. Uh, I wouldn't have been a fan of some of the latest ones, but yeah, I think you're after selling me here in Batman. I would have been originally Batman, then I've moved Superman, uh, but maybe you're after swinging it back here for me now. Um, yeah. <laughs> so actually, we'd love to hear the listeners' views on this. Um, if you let us know on Instagram or Facebook um, what you thought of it or if you saw it or maybe a poll actually who's better batman or superman it'd be interesting as well uh we move on anyway robbie we're on about batman and superman will the irish rugby team be superman this week when they take on the might of the english uh yeah i don't know i just have a sneaky feeling that england at twickenham are waiting in the long grass for us um <laughs> to be honest with you i think that's uh I just get that sort of a vibe. I can feel it in my waters. Um, you know, all form kind of points to Ireland winning, which is, you know, maybe dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Um, that you think that when Ireland are, usually when they're back to win, that's when they underperform and stuff. Um, you know, England haven't been going great, but, you know, if, I think if they win their next two games, they could be in a shake-up for the championship, if I'm not mistaken. Um, because they obviously they lost to so this is Scotland in the first game, yeah. and about Italy, Wales, and then if they beat us in France, you know they could be in there for possible Six Nations, you know. So, and I think they'll relish the opportunity of Ireland at Twickenham, uh, especially after we spoiled their party last year. I think they'll be out to, uh, you know, get us back. Uh, I suppose Andrew Porter being out as well is a big loss. Um. Yeah, so I obviously really hope Ireland win, but I just think that the the balance might be swinging over to the English, unfortunately, and it could be a long afternoon uh, for the Irish to win them. But hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, you know, the form is Ireland should win, um, but I just ha- I just have a feeling that England could do it. To be honest with you, and <laughs> that wouldn't that wouldn't be good, obviously. But uh, I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, I, I I would have the same fear, Robbie. I won't lie, and especially listening to an ed- interview Eddie Jones done um, that was broadcast today. I don't know when he done it. It could have been press conference today, but um, when when you have Eddie Jones uh, praise in Ireland, it's a bit like Warren Gatland. You you you'd have to be forewarned. Um, it might sound funny if the game was next week, I'd be a lot more confident because I don't know what it is around St. Patrick's Day, but um, Ireland always seemed to have won over England uh, when the game's around uh, any time around St. Patrick's Day. Um yeah, I mean, on form, you'd have to say Ireland have to be favourites but as as you rightly said when Ireland are favourites that's a time they could disappoint um, 
they weren't, even though the scoreline was convincing enough when you look for, say, if you didn't see the game against Italy, when you look at, or when you were watching the game and you saw what happened to Italians, I think we should have won be a hell of a lot more. Um, we were a bit stuttery at times. We finished strong, but um, uh, I don't know. I, I think Andy Farrell is after um, developing a good side. It would have been a critic of his at start, but he's after proving that he's after trying to change the style of play, trying to change the d- dynamic. Um, question for you. Uh, Joey Carberry or Jonathan Sexton, Robbie? I know it's going to be Sexton, but should be Joey Carberry that's uh, number 10 over in Twickenham? Yeah, I think I think we should give it to Joey Carberry um, just to give him experience. But um, yeah, I think Andy Farrell, he wants to win this championship. So you know, he, hasn't, he hasn't won the first two that he was involved in. So uh, as manager anyway but um, yeah I think our head coach um, yeah I think, I think as you're saying Johnny Sexton he's going to play um, he's the best they'll have um, so you can't really have any, any arguments with him playing but we just feel like longer term as we said before just for the World, World Cup cycle to throw jo- Joey Carberry in at Twickenham and see how he does. Um, and then you can have Sexton coming off the bench as a big impact, you know. But, um, you know, I suppose Andy Farrell, he, he knows what he's on about and he wants to get the win. And, you know, honestly, Johnny Sexton gives us the best chance um, to win that game. But I suppose I, I, you have to weigh up, is it better to win the game? Or is it better to lose the battle and win the war long term? <laughs> you know, because we've got... Yeah. We have, um, I think if we come out of our group in the World Cup, we're going to play France or New Zealand. So, <laughs> you know, and if we have to go in with Joey Carberry to one of those games, no, he played Joey Carberry plays against France because Sexton was injured and stuff. But the more big games that uh, Carberry has under his belt, the more he's able to command and boss the rest of the guys and lead the team. So, yeah, I'd be going with Carberry, but you know, realistically, Sexton does give us, gives us the, the best chance to win now, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know, very valid point, Robbie. Um, I would be turning towards Joey Carberry, I would be looking at a longer term, term perspective on it. Um, but yeah, I mean. You always want to get a win over England. I'm not saying they can't do it with Joey Carberry playing, but I think we have a better chance um, with Jonathan Sexton. The one fear I would have there with Jonathan Sexton starting is um, you could have in- England targeting them, uh, which France and England tended to do, do before. I mean, you are going to... I'm not saying intentionally go out and try and injure a player far from it. And I don't mean anything like that at all, but you are always going to pay special attention to the start player of the opposition, no matter what. Um, And rugby is a physical game. It is. And yeah, I think the the English 10 is going to get a lot of attention as well. He's a young guy and he's a bit of a flash uh, player. So, um, 
I think any of the Irish guys are going to relish uh, <laughs> hitting him in Els lap, to be honest. Exactly. That's it. That's that sport. Right or wrong, that's that's the way it goes. But uh, we'll see how it goes, Robbie. Uh, we might have a podcast by the weekend or early after it anyway. Um, so we'll be chatting more about that and other games as well. And then the final game will be Ireland versus Scotland then as well. So um, a victory over England sets up a triple crown and maybe a grand slam, but a loss ends everything. Um, so we see how it goes. Uh, we move on anyway, Robbie, to the high ball. Woo! Oh, the high ball. Okay, so I was listening to the radio as I tend to do, and um, I'm not addicted to it at all. Um, but it just got me thinking about when I will be choosing the high ball is one sport memory that lives in your mind forever. So you can be involved as a supporter. It could be a sporting event that took place or something that it's just ingrained in your memory. It may be a major event or it could be something minor, but something that lives long in your memory. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose there's a good few, actually. Um, GA-wise, I suppose you have to, you have to, as a Dublin fan, you have to say the Stephen Cluxon point um, against Kerry. Um, you know, that's, you know, probably the score of the last decade, really, or one that was like, you know, the the score that was heard around the world. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely the, the one that really jumps to mind. Um, in terms of other sporting events, um, you know, kind of once when I was younger, I suppose, like the, um, this might sound odd, but the France team winning the World Cup in 98, um, it was just such a, you know, setup for Brazil to go on and win. And yeah. they had the Brazilian Ronaldo and they just went out and they flattened. Um, obviously, Brazilian Ronaldo, he wasn't the full shilling in that game as it's much publicized now, but you know, he had, I think, Petit scoring and Zidane scoring. And, you know, it was just a great moment for, I know they were the host nation, but they're really kind of underdogs, I suppose, going into that final and stuff. Um, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes the sport memories are the the bad ones as well. Um, another one, this might be uh, not a great moment for you as a Liverpool fan, but you have to, you'd have to reference, you know, the Barcelona 1999, and Solskjaer and Sheringham scoring against um, Bayern Munich. Yeah. And what's often forgotten about that game is that Bayern were totally dominant for the entire game and should have been three or four nil up, or maybe even two or three up at halftime. Um, but anyway, United won. Just one of the greatest comebacks ever. So, yeah, I think those are the ones that really jump out. And, you know, maybe from a rugby point of view, be looking at um, Ronan Nagara's drop goal. Um, I'm even putting that ahead of uh, Johnny Sexton's one against France, but Ronald Nogara's one against against uh, Wales in the Millennium Stadium uh, to effectively win the Grand Slam. You know, uh, that's that's definitely right up there as well. But um, you know, I could keep going on. There's so many good ones. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, no, well, well, there's some some brilliant ones there, Robbie. Uh, yeah, that's. Um... Actually, 
the run no gar drop goal against Wales, that'd be one, but Tommy Bowes try and that yeah. set up Dyerland come back in that, that's one that really gives me shivers. Um the, Even the commentary, uh, Tommy Bow. Yeah, um Tony Ward along with Ryle Nugent as well. And the the mm. roar when Johnson Sexton or sorry, uh, Ron O'Gara's kick went over. Uh, then you had the penalty awarded and uh, was it Williams um stood up to kick it and you knew a drop short. <laughs> Stephen still or Stephen Jones, sorry, Stephen Jones, you're dead right. Um stepped up and you knew it dropped short. And yeah, I, I I watched that video a good few times since. Um Jonathan Sexton's uh, drop goal against France was it four year ago, three, four year ago. France yeah. totally dominating the game, set Ireland up to go on win the Grand Slam that year. Um, Katie Taylor, two thousand and twelve. That was another one uh, would live in my memory. Um, strange one for you. Uh, I was up at a match with father. I think it was two thousand and four. Leash versus Offaly in the football championship. Uh, Offaly leading all game. High ball, high dropping ball into the Leash forward line. And Paul Lawler buries it and Leash beat Offaly. And like they went into that game as Rain Leinster champions. Offaly were going to pull off a shock. And uh, yeah, uh, 2003 Leinster final, it might sound strange as well, but being up there and seeing the joy in the father's face running onto the pitch uh, when Leash won the Leinster title is a memory. Um, then you had 2014, the joy of the Westmead supporters up in Croke Park as well, seeing the disappointment to the father, but seeing Westmead winning the replay as well to see what Leash went through the year before, but to see Westmead claiming their first ever Leinster title. Um, it, it'd be one that you'd have to... Uh, 2003, Kilkenny's victory against Cork to claim the two in a row. Carp were uh, being hammered at halftime. They really were. And Carp came back at him and it was a Martin Comfort goal that really set up the Kilkenny victory that time. Um, yeah, there's so many. They really are so many. Um, Carrick Shaw claiming their intermediate title All-Ireland after having disappointment in 2004, claiming the title in 2017. I think that'd be the one that would have to live in memory the most because um, seeing lads you grew up with, seeing the joy in the, in the parish and um, yeah, they've been some terrific ones, but uh, would you believe it's it's one there's so many that's involved um like even it might sound a strange one but see Ireland against France the time of the Thierry Henry handball Ireland were so poor in the first game against France in Croke Park but to go over to the Stade de France uh, Stade de France and um Get the victory in uh, get the victory in normal time and see what happened in extra time. It'd be 
one that would live in memory for good and bad, but the main one in soccer, um, Shane Long's goal against Germany the time a few years ago as well to defeat mm-hmm. Germany. And then, of course, Liverpool um, claiming the Champions League in 2005, uh, being 3-0 down, coming back, winning on penalties, uh, was special. And then the Premier League um, two years ago as well, that was... So, yeah, I'm after waffling enough, so many sport memories, but uh, it just shows yeah, the Liverpool joy that sports friends. The Liverpool one is good. I was actually... Um... I was leaving secondary school. We had like graduation and it was like 3 0 to AC Man, obviously, at halftime. And we, got, we, we went into the pub for after graduation. And, you know, everyone was really, Liverpool fans, really dejected. And I just remember at full time, just the absolute, you know, <laughs> disbelief and excitement of the Liverpool fans. Yeah. So that was, um, that was a special moment, uh, you know, because in 99, watching United win, I was just at home um, with my dad and my brother. But, you know, seeing, you know, the reaction, because I, w- I would be just maybe more passive uh, soccer fan in terms of I don't support a team. So, but just seeing the, you know, the excitement of the Liverpool fans when they beat, um, beat AC Milan in Istanbul, that was, a, that was a special moment as well. Yeah, uh, now I have to, and this is a deep, dark secret, but uh, back in 1999, um, all my friends in school would have been Manchester United fans. Um, And (laughs) they would have been peer pressure. That's if you were the odd one out. Yeah, and then I got common sense when I went to secondary school and I, I became a diehard Liverpool fan. But back mm. back around then, they would have been badges um, and all of that. And um, yeah, I have to say, I would have been a slight, a slight United fan back then when I was really, really young. And then, yeah. as I was saying, I got sense and I'm a Liverpool fan all the bad and the good years since, um, but most especially... Uh, before that Champions League victory in 2005. It was really special. Um, but yeah, I know it's some great memories there, Robbie. And maybe it's a thing we could do uh, on another podcast, highlight all the great sport moments around. But uh, a thanks million mm-hmm. for contributing it to it. Anyway, I think that's where we leave it for tonight. Uh, it was a pleasure as always, Robbie. I always enjoy the podcast. And um, most yeah, especially, good most especially to the listeners, because without um, without you, um, we we wouldn't be here doing it. So if you want to contact us, you can contact us through Facebook and Instagram, our our website two hands under hurl pod dot com forward slash podcast. And we'd love to hear from you, especially around Batman or Superman, who's the better. And maybe will Ireland get over England as well the weekend? We might stick up uh, a couple of polls there and just see your views on it. But until uh, maybe later in the week or uh, early next week, Robbie, it's his pleasure as always. And thanks a million, bud. Yeah, great chats. Uh, As always, Siege, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks a million. Chat soon. Take care. Good luck.
Good luck. Bye, 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 bye. Good luck. Good luck.